interestingly, uh, a couple years ago, they had the 25th anniversary of the race, and um, Ironman brought both of us back here, and we had a lot of chance to tell the stories. Um, so I got to hear his side for the first time, actually. But one of the questions that we got asked was, do you guys know how far back third place was? <laughs> and we looked at each other, and we go, we had no idea. We had absolutely no idea. And they go, Greg Welsh was third place. He was over three miles behind you guys. He was 22 minutes behind David. By the way, Greg wow. Welch was, is a triathlon legend as well. I mean, this isn't some, you know, uh, bus boy. I mean, this is, he, he's legit. Yeah, he ended up winning Ironman in 94. And so, you know, just showed that Dave and I were in this kind of bubble of our own where we were really just, you know, building this energy that neither, neither of us could have done that on our own. You know, neither of us could have done it with any other athlete. But we had such a history together that it just propelled us to this new level. And it was really, I think, the first year that, that all the athletes saw that this race can truly be raced. It's not something that you're just trying to survive to the end. You can, you can have strategy. You can have, uh, you know, you get your nutrition right. You dial in your pacing. You dial in your training. And you really can race it from the start all the way to the finish line on Elite Drive. Okay, we have a special guest to the Stages podcast, an, an old friend of mine, JB. Uh, and when I say when I say old, I mean uh, old. Mark and I, Mark Allen, is our guest, an absolute triathlon and Ironman legend. As as the listeners know, this is a special edition of Stages, the Stages Kona podcast. The Ironman World Championships is this weekend in Kona. Um, Mark, we met. Gosh. 1985? No, 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 sorry, 1987 at the President's Triathlon in Dallas. You remember that? I do remember that. It was, uh, it was a really fun time in the sport. You know, every, the whole sport was growing. Um, you came into it as a, as a brash teenager, and you know, a lot of people gave you a hard time. I said, hey, come on, you know, the guy's following up with the results. He's, uh, maybe he's, he's just a little bit more confident than you're used to seeing. So, yeah, it was a great time, and I remember, I remember racing... Uh, that race a couple times actually yeah, really you, good race you owned that race that was the first before that it was so it was like a middle more it was a longer event and then that that year 1987 we or they uh they made it an international distance and i, I remember getting i was a good swimmer so i got out of the water well back up I, let's give it some context what age were you in, well i was i was 15 years old and uh some people around me I had been competing locally in Dallas and some people around me were like, you should, why don't you just turn pro? Just go out there and race with those guys. And I was like, okay, <laughs> that's a good idea. So I get my pro license or whatever. And, and we get in, you know, the race starts and I get out of the water with the leaders, with Mark and, and everybody. Um, and then Mark and I did the whole bike ride together. I'm sure you were sitting there looking at going, who's this dude with, with me right now, this is the kid. And then, and then we got to the run and, Mark proceeded to completely, you know, go away from me like a, like a vapor trail. And, uh, but I still hung on for, I think, fifth or sixth. And you know who I saw, uh, just, just last January, I was in Auckland, New Zealand. I hung out with Richard Wells. Uh, he's doing great. He's doing great. And, uh, he smoked us in the swim and, but you ended up catching him on the run and winning. But I want to know, uh, in a second from you, Lance, what 
you know, Mark Allen meant to you as a teenager growing up in that sport. But Mark, what was your first impression? What was going through your head when you met this kid back then? Well, you know, he was 15, I was 29, so I was almost twice his age. I mean, I didn't, uh, 29 didn't sound that old to me, but 15 didn't sound that young either. It was almost like uh, he, he didn't really feel like he was that much younger. And I, I don't know how, but somehow I, I had heard something about you. So, you know, when, I, when you were in the race, it wasn't a surprise. And I, I can't recall how, how or who it was that told me. But, um, yeah, that was great. And then, uh, you know, actually the race, the, the race that I remember most with you, Lance, was uh, the, the Bermuda Triathlon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Because we were, uh, you know, we were to get together out of the water. We were together going onto the bike. And then we took the lead from, uh, I forget his name. But anyway, we're in the lead, right? You know, you and I. And then this other guy was kind of dropping back. And, and you're going, are we doing good? Are we doing good? Are we doing good? And I'm thinking, <laughs> we're in the lead. How much better can you do? And I was suffering, you know. And you were just kind of like having fun with it. Um, fortunately, my, my run through that day also. But um and then, and then shortly after that, you know, you, uh, you kind of disappeared. Next thing I knew, you won Junior Worlds Cycling. So, you know, you were off. Yeah. That, that, there's a clip on YouTube from the Bermuda Triathlon, and, and it's, they have these really strict rules there. You know, you, as a man, you're not allowed to go without a shirt. So we had to race with shirts on. They had a very strict, it's very undulating, that island. Very strict rule about the center line. You couldn't cross the center line. And there's just, somebody sent me this clip on YouTube Right, and I think you're in it too. Was you, me, and Mike Pig, and I, and I was a little close to the center line, and Pig starts yelling, "Don't cross the center line! Don't cross this!" And here I am, 15. I look over, I go, "Hey, fuck off!" <laughs> and I mean, it's on. <laughs> I'm like, I watch that stuff, and I'm like, "Yeah, wow." <laughs> so as you were, were a teenager and getting into triathlons and having a lot of great success early, you had to. What was your first, what was going through your head when you're riding shoulder to shoulder with, with uh, Mark Allen? Oh, I mean, I was, uh, you asked me what they meant to me. I have, I have kind of a, <clears throat> a side, I haven't updated in a long time, but I had like a, a second Twitter account on, with, under Juan Pelota. And, my, and Juan Pelota was the triathlon, you know, Lance Armstrong was the cyclist, Juan Pelota was the triathlon. That's all I talked about on that Twitter feed. And my bio in, in, in Juan Pelota's uh, profile was I grew up idolizing the Big Four. And so for those new to the sport or new to the show, the Big Four were, were Mark Allen, our guest right now, mm-hmm. Dave Scott, who will be our guest later, uh, Scott Molina, and Scott Tenley. And so I really, those as, as a kid growing up, I loved, I grew up in Dallas. I grew up through the Roger Stahlbeck era, the Troy Aikman era. I loved all those guys. But my, my true heroes in sports were uh, were these guys, and so it was. It was, uh, it was a big deal, and so then yeah, then you get there, and you're like, I mean, it was out of body. I didn't know, um, I didn't know what to to think, but it was, I knew I knew that it was cool. Yeah, yeah. So eventually, we're gonna get to maybe some of your predictions, which you may or may not enjoy doing, but everybody everybody wants to know what Mark Allen thinks uh, of who's who's gonna win, uh, men and women. But uh, I'm curious, Mark, are you surprised or is it just become the norm for you that everyone still talks about 1989 so much it is just become literally a legend yeah you know it's uh whatever 28 years later um and you know that day that day unfolded in a really interesting way because 
Um, it was the first year in 1989 that I went into the race kind of really just wondering, how am I going to actually have a good race? You know, I'd been there six times already. I'd finished second. I'd finished third. I'd finished fifth. I'd been in the lead, uh, you know, at the end of the bike. I'd been in the lead uh, going through town on the run. I'd been in the lead halfway through the marathon, but I couldn't hold it all the way to the end. And so I really had a goal that year of just sticking with Dave and saying, look, you know, this guy's won the race six times already. He knows how to do it. He knows how to pace it. Just just follow his lead and, and see what you can learn, you know. And I really didn't know if I had what it took to win. Um, but my goal that year was just to have actually to actually race all the way through it, you know, to not just have six hours of greatness and then have two hours where I'm surviving. And uh, so, you know, we worked together out of the water. I stayed right behind him the entire way on the bike and every now and then, you know, he'd, he'd look back to just kind of see what I was doing or what I would, how I was feeling. And I, I'd hide my head because I just didn't want him to have any, any indication of what I was feeling. I just figured, let him make up his own story. Let him set the pace that he wants to go. And then we started the run through the town of Kona. And um, he set this pace that was just mind-blowing. And we were, we were under six-minute pace. And uh, I thought, there is no friggin' way we can sustain this. But I thought, hey, if I blow up, I, I go down with the best, right? And so you know, once we got out onto the lava field, things kind of settled down and we settled into this pace. And, uh, you know, it, 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 there we were, just, you know, the two of us on the Queen K Highway. Um, you know, it's a big, wide road, right? And we kept bumping into each other because neither of us wanted to give an inch or a second or, you know, it was, it was a trip. And there were so many people following us, but there was it was dead silent. You know, all you could hear was like our feet with, you know, this squish of our feet hitting the ground every, you know, every step. And uh, we both knew that eventually that something was going to happen on the very last hill going up into the town of Kona because... Um, he was a little stronger on the downhills. I was a little stronger on the uphills. Neither of us seemed to be able to have an edge. But the last real feature was at about mile 24 and a half, where you have a long, long upgrade uh, before you then you drop down into the town of Kona on this road, Kalani Road. At the bottom of the hill, uh, there was an aid station. And, and, you know, conventional wisdom is that you just you know, grab one last glass of, of Gatorade or Coke or whatever you're going to get, slug it down, get a little more en energy in the tank, and then just take off. And uh, so Dave actually got the inside track to the aid station, and he reached over to grab, and I started to come in behind him. And right as I started to reach for my glass of, of, of calories, something just said, go. And I pulled my hand back, and I just started sprinting, as fast as you can sprint at the end of an Ironman. <laughs> right. And, uh, you know, in, in the three or four seconds it took him to, to reach and look back, I had opened up a gap of a few feet. And you have to understand, Dave was the best from hour six of the race to the finish. You know, if you were even close to being in the same time zone with that guy, he knew that he was going to catch you and pull away. Well, here somebody was, me, pulling away with a, about a mile, mile and a half to go in the race, and it completely blew his mind. And you can see it on the footage all of a sudden, you know, his shoulders come up and his, his head's rocking and he's having to deal with a situation that he never has had to, uh, he'd never had before. And so anyway, I knew that I had to get to the top of the hill before him down to the bottom at the other side before him, because he, he was much faster on the downgrades. 
And I got to the bottom of the hill and I looked back and I couldn't see him. And then I just knew, yes, I've got it. There was, there was nothing that could happen at that point. Because you thought, I mean, for the listener at home, so Mark had, there was a European equivalent to the Hawaii Ironman. And I don't, uh, and Ironman was in its early stages, but the European equivalent was the Nice Triathlon, which was not quite as long, but was still damn long. And Mark had won that 10 times and he'd gone to Kona a bunch of times. And it almost, and I guess the buzz in the tri world was, you're cursed. I mean, you cannot, there's just some kabuki magic on you that you cannot win this thing. And, you know, that was in, you know, that last, or in 1989, which ironically, I was, I was at that race. Uh, you finally win. The thing that kills me, and I'm looking at the results here over the last 40 years of the Hawaii Ironman, your time, and, and this, check this out, JB. Mark Allen's time in 1989, okay, this is, there's no wetsuits. There, the, the, I believe you had the aero bars. The, the aero bars had just come on, you know, what, what LeMond yeah. made famous at the tour just a couple of months before. But round tube bike, regular wheels, et cetera. Mark's time in 1989 was 809.14, all right? And just for the fan at home, he ended up beating Dave by a minute. Just so 809.14, then you come up here to 2016. Jan Frodeno, the Olympic champion, this guy is a complete beast, all right? Last summer, he goes 806.30. 809.14 is 45 seconds ahead of second place last year. Think about that. Mm -hmm. with, with, with the technology of, first of all, the Queen K... Is now, I mean, I, I can only imagine what the surface of that road was like in 1989. The bikes were primitive, relatively speaking. I mean, put that in your head for a mm -hmm. second. That is, you may want to make a little comeback, Mark. <laughs> you, <laughs> you know, that, the part, part of it is kind of like what you were saying about, uh, you know, people are saying, hey, this guy's cursed. He can't win in Y. He can win Nice. He can. You know, I, going into the Ironman that year, I'd won the, the first ITU Olympic Distance World Championship. So it looked like I could win everything except this one. Right. You know, the biggest race in our sport, the biggest one-day sporting event that I was ever going to be take a part of. And, uh, you know, part of part of the challenge of winning here is that the Big Island, Big Island of Hawaii is a very, very powerful, intense place. I mean, you feel it when you get off the plane. You know, you, you, they open up the door, they, they roll the stairs up, you walk down onto the tarmac, and you just feel this intense energy. And, and it, before 89, it was very intimidating for me to go there and think, I've got a race. Not, it's not just that it's hot. It's not that it's windy. I mean, those are big elements. But there's something about the energy of this island that is so intense. And I, instead of sort of embracing that, I was, um, I was intimidated by it. And so, you know, how are you going to win a race that you go into and you're just going, like this, there's no, there's no way. And so that year, I'd actually started studying with a gentleman, Brant Secunda, who teaches shamanism, which is a way of connecting with places like this and embracing that energy and saying, "Hey, let me just be here and and just do do my thing. Let me just do it in a good way. Let me just give everything I have, and hopefully that'll honor honor the island. I mean, this island has that that spirit of aloha, or um, you know, I mean, you've been here, Lance, so sure. you know it's very yeah. different than anywhere else, and so. That, that day, that's kind of what I did. That was my, my uh, you know, in, in the other six years when we were out there on the lava, on, on the marathon, it's, you know, you have an aid station every mile, and in between there is absolutely nothing. And in the years before that, I'd look around, and I just thought, this is like a living hell, you know. But that year, for some reason, Dave and I were running along. I mean, it was the most intense 
thing in the world to be racing a guy for eight hours side by side. And every now and then I'd look around and I go, wow, I mean, look at this. This yeah. is so amazing. And that was a very different uh, feel for me. Interestingly, uh, a couple of years ago, they had the 25th anniversary of the race. And um, Iron Man brought both of us back here. And we had a lot of chance to tell the stories. Um, so I got to hear his side for the first time, actually. But one of the questions that we got asked was, do you guys know how far back third place was? <laughs> and we looked at each other and we go, we had no idea. We had absolutely no idea. And they go, Greg Welsh was third place. He was over three miles behind you guys. He was 22 minutes yeah. behind David. By the way, Greg wow. Welch was, is a triathlon legend as well. I mean, this isn't some, you know, uh, bus boy. I mean, this is, he, he's legit. Yeah, he ended up winning Ironman in 94. And so, you know, it just showed that Dave and I were in this kind of bubble of our own where we were really just, you know, building this energy that neither neither of us could have done that on our own. You know, neither of us could have done it with any other athlete. But we had such a history together that it just propelled us to this new level. And it was really, I think, the first year that, that all the athletes saw that this race can truly be raced. It's not something that you're just trying to survive to the end. You can you can have strategy. You can have uh, you know you get your nutrition right. You dial in your pacing. You dial in your training, and you really can race it from the start all the way to the finish line on Elite Drive. Right, right. I I mean maybe before that because that year was so dynamic and it was it was like a boxing match. Again, being there and, and watching it up close. But I think before that, it was almost like a freak show. I mean, it actually, it did start, let's be honest. I mean, this event started as kind of a dare or a freak show or like, like how dumb, how let's take this long swim and those long bike ride in a marathon and see who can do it. But this was the first time where it was like, whoa. I mean, it, 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 it's not a, a, a Well, it's a, still a today, it's for what, 90% of the people there, it's about finishing. It's not, a, it's, it's yeah, a race more. against yourself, right? Right, but at the high end, at the elite level, I mean, it's, yeah. it's no irony or, or mistake that it's called, you know, the greatest race ever. And it was, I mean, it, it really was. But Mark, let's, because I hope, my, it's my hope with this show that, that there's, so, there, I don't know, what I, I think there's probably 2,000 athletes competing this weekend. I don't know how many of them are first time, um, you know, competitors in Kona, but racing in, let's just say they qualified and they qualified in Mont Tremblant or they qualified at Ironman France or they qualified um, in, you know, Ironman Texas. This, this is a whole nother beast. And I'd, I'd love to get into it and, and, and give them a little bit of advice slash coaching slash tips uh, slash uh, mana for uh, for their first experience. And so, um, you know, what if you had to say that, that as, as a coach, which is what you do every day now, what would be for a newbie, right? Even not even for a newbie, even for somebody that's done Kona twice. What are the top three things that somebody should be thinking about? Saturday morning at 7 a.m. when the gun goes off? Yeah, that's a great question. The, the first thing is to um, try not to compare how you feel in this race to any other Ironman that you did because every other Ironman on the planet, even though they're the same distance, maybe they're just as hot, maybe they're just as windy, It's not they're not going to feel the same as racing here on the Big Island. And so you kind of have to go into the day just with a with a clean slate of what feeling good really is all about. Uh, because if you compare it to how you felt in Montremblanc or how you felt at, in Ironman France, it's gonna you're gonna be going, geez, I'm having a lousy day. You know, I mean, my legs are tired already. I'm only 70 miles into the bike. I feel heavy coming off the bike. Whatever it is, 
when in reality, you could be having the best Ironman Hawaii of your life. So the first thing is just to kind of not even try to judge how you're doing and just engage in what in the race, stay steady. You know, that's the second thing. You know, I, I always tell my athletes that the race really doesn't begin until about 10 miles to go in the marathon. So, you know, when you're, when you're in the swim, if you feel like you're racing back the effort down just a little bit so that you feel like, okay, yeah, this is like those long sessions I had in the pool. I've done this a thousand times. This is no big deal. You know, you're trying to kind of reduce the stress level or, or your, your feeling of how stressed it is. And then the second thing, you know, you're on the bike. If you feel like I'm racing, back it down a little bit. Same thing on the run until you, until you get to about 10 miles to go in the marathon, keep backing that effort down so that you feel like, Hey, I've done runs like this. I've done bikes like, like this. This is just another training day. And then when you get to mile 10 with, with, you know, mile 16 of the marathon, 10 miles to go, then you can let it rip. You know, like I said, letting it rip in Kona is very different than, uh, on a 10 mile run. But, uh, and then, and then the, the final thing is to just, you know, really take care of your, your nutrition and your hydration. Most people find that with all of the aid stations, they end up taking in more calories and more fluid than they need. And, and then all of a sudden they get backed up and they feel nauseous. So, you know, have your, have your plan down of how many calories an hour you're going to have, how much fluid you're going to take in per hour. Try not to overdo it. It's much easier to overdo it with all those aid stations than it is to underdo it. And then, you know, the, la the last key is really just to, um, to know that no matter who you are, first to last, there's going to be a thousand moments in the race where you want to quit, where, you know, your legs aren't feeling good or you're tired or you're having a hard time concentrating, you know, your energy dips. That's just part of the day. Let, you know, have that be okay because, you know, stick with it. Chew, chew the race up in small enough chunks that you can get your mind around it. You know, an example, um, in 1995, my last Ironman, I was 37 years old, and I was coming back trying to win my sixth title here. Uh, and I, I, you know, I had this grand plan of thinking, gee, if I could go out as a champion, set a set a new course record, what a way to do it! Well, it was one of the windiest days ever in the history of the race, so the record was out. And there was a guy named Thomas Hellriegel who was uh, 24, 13 years younger than me, who was just hell on wheels on on the bike. He came off the bike 13 and a half minutes ahead of me. He was in the lead. <laughs> And I came off the bike and, you know, I came into the transition area and I, I knew he was way out there, but I didn't know quite what the gap was. And somebody goes, go get him. He's 13 and a half minutes ahead of you. You can catch him. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, bud. I'm thinking, yeah. I'm thinking, you know, 13 and a half minutes. Nobody's done that. Nobody's ever done that. And so I thought, what, what can I do? And I thought that's 30 seconds a mile. Every single mile I've got to make up on this guy if I'm going to catch him at the finish. And I thought, there's no way I can do that. And so then I thought, what can I, what can I wrap my brain around? And so I thought, well, let me see if I can just make up an inch or a second, every single step. And that, that was something that I could go, okay, I can, I can, that's a small enough chunk that I can just get out there and try and do that. And I did that. And eventually I did catch him at mile, uh, around mile 23. But anyway, so, you know, if you're having a lousy moment, realize, Hey, that's just part of the day. You're going to come back out of it you know, break, keep breaking your race down into pieces that you can wrap your mind around it and just give it, give it what you have in each one of those moments. And then at the end of the day, after it's all over, then you can look back and ask yourself, how was that race? You know, like I said, 95 coming off the bike, 13 and a half minutes behind the leader. I thought I'm having the worst Ironman in my life. Right. But 
when I look back on it, because it was so intense and so challenging to, to pull off that victory, it really was the greatest race that I ever had here. So you never know. You never know. And I always, you know, and Mark, we talked at the, uh, at the start of the interview about our history back in the 80s doing tries. Uh, and then I went back to triathlons in 2012. Uh, of course, at this point, Ironman Corp is, is a full-blown juggernaut. Uh, the half Ironmans have come on. Uh, and so I, I, I started in Panama and then I went on to Galveston and all these started doing all these halves. And this is, this is only five years ago. And Grant, I was, I wasn't an older, I was 41 years old, but I, I could not, and sorry, backing up the tries that we did back in the day were international distance. So they were a mile swim, 25 mile bike, 10 K run. So, you, you know, nutrition is, there's no nutrition. So as I get into these halves, uh, I was thinking like a cyclist. I was like, well, I'm going to be out here for four hours and I'm going to be going so hard. So I must eat. So I have to eat so much. I was jamming down food. And sure enough, I'd get off the bike within a mile or two on the run. The gut just completely shuts off. You alluded to it. I think, you know, that to me and the way I sum it up to people is a triathlon isn't three sports. It's actually five sports. It's the swim, the bike, the run, the hydration and the nutrition. And if you don't get those second two, the last two sports, right? your day is either done or is going to be awfully miserable. Obviously, these folks going into this thing, most of them, I would think, have some kind of a plan, either through a, a coach like you or just through their own experience. They'll know how much to eat, how much to drink, when to eat, when to drink. But my question, and I'll tell you what happened uh, afterwards, what, what you know, how I figured it out, but what happens, I mean, you, you touched on it, and, and it happens to so many of us, and it was happening to me in 2012. I would get in this place where I couldn't, it, once my gut shut off, I couldn't get out of it. Like I, I just was walking. I mean, I couldn't. What, so what happens to, to Sally Mae, who's, you know, mile two of the marathon and, and she's completely you know, empty because her stomach has shut off. She's nauseous. She may be throwing up. She might have diarrhea. She's sitting there going, all right, when is this going to stop? It's like a bad trip. <laughs> yeah. You know, the, I think the hardest part of this race to get right is the nutrition and the hydration. Um, I, you know, in all the Ironmans that I did, including the the ones that I won, there was only one where I didn't get sick in my stomach and throw up. So that's, you know, that's not a great testament for my dialing it in. I didn't actually get it right until the final one in 95. You know, general guidelines for people, uh, 300, 350 calories an hour, it seems to be about the maximum that people can take in. Some people certainly can take in a little more. Others don't even need that much. A total maximum of uh, 30 to 40 ounces of fluid per hour. You know, if you exceed these, which it's very easy to do, like I said, because there's so many aid stations, then you get stuff in there quicker than you can than you can absorb, and then it just backs up, and, and then it is a real problem. Um, so it's best to try to kind of tune into your body. Your body also isn't going to absorb in a in a completely linear fashion. So maybe you're taking in 300 calories an hour, 350 cal calories an hour, but you might have 15, 20 minutes where your body will not take in anything. And if you tune in, you go, yeah, I don't, I can't, I'm not going to be able to absorb anything right now. And then after that, all of a sudden you can slug down a ton of it and you'll be able to get it in. Your body has these absorption cycles that, so, you know, you can't just like, like clockwork every 15 minutes, give it a certain amount. You have to kind of look at the, the overall picture. So by the end of the bike, I want to take in this many calories. And so you try to, Keep tuning in to how much, how much you've taken as you go through it. Same with fluid. Same thing on the run. Try to avoid solids. You know, if you take in energy bars, those things are just going to sit there and they're going to stop everything up. 
And you can even actually start in the days before the race, kind of getting ready for this. A lot of people have had who have had issues with absorption in the race or having having diarrhea or whatever. If they cut out fiber in the last two or three days before the race, uh, all of a sudden everything worked perfectly because there's nothing in their digestive system slowing things down, and so they absorb very quickly. Of course, you know triathletes they usually eat pretty healthy, so it's a little bit of a shift in their diet to go from whatever brown rice to white rice or whatever it is. But a lot of people who have never been able to get their nutrition right when they cut out the fiber in their diet those last day, two days, three days, perfect. And what about you hear a lot, and this is one thing that we dabbled with back in 2012, that there's always this dance between sugar and salt, right? We all know that we need energy and you need energy foods and gel, however you get them. But there was always this discussion around, you know, how you balance sugar and salt. And we, we got to the point where we were just taking the salt tabs, breaking them open and putting them in the bottle. So I'd have my sports drink and then it would have additional salt in there. And I found that to be effective for me. And, I, you know, that's the thing. It was always my sense that that was when the stomach back stopped working and backed up. It was something in that mixture of sugar and salt was off. Yeah, a lot of times, you know, I know personally when things would back up and I wasn't absorbing, if I did take a salt tablet, like within minutes, you know, my, first of all, my energy would come back. And second of all, things would start to absorb again. So I don't know what the physiology is specifically on that. But, you know, again, general guidelines for people, 350 milligrams an hour of sodium seems to be kind of a good guideline on what to take in uh, per hour. Um but I, you know, the way I did it was I had my my sport drink that I knew had a certain amount of sodium in it, and then I had some salt tablets that I could also access. So that you know, I take my drink, uh, I take some water, I take you know my energy drink, and if I still didn't feel like I was coming around, there's things were starting to back up, then I'd take the salt tablet, or maybe I needed two. And it, as I was just sucking on it and tasting it, you know, your body's really smart. It'll, it'll tell you when you need more or when you've had enough. If it's all mixed together in the drink, you don't have control over sort of that fine tuning. I mean, it, it can work. And actually, the sport drinks now are so much better than what I had when I raced. You know, they actually have uh, enough sodium in it that sometimes you don't even need to take in any extra along on, along the way. But it's good to have it just in case for the exact same reason that you were you're talking about there. Yeah, I got to the point. I was doing these halves in 2012, and it happened. I mean, it was like clockwork. I'd get to the run. I'd come off the bike first. I'd get to the run, and every warning light was on, JB. I mean, this was, and I'm like, oh, shit. And so finally I said, okay, you know what? Here's what I'm going to do. This, I'm not going to eat like I'm riding a stage in the Tour de France. I'm just not going to eat. So then I went, I went down to uh, Half Ironman, Florida in Orlando, or in Haines City, outside of Orlando, and I, I had a very light breakfast, uh, and then... In the race, I was gonna I was gonna have one honey stinger waffle on the bike, just one, versus God knows how many before. And then I was gonna have a gel and T two that I could carry in the run, just in case I was getting a little fuzzy. And uh, come out of the water fifth, get on the bike, uh, ride two hours flat, come off with a ten minute lead, run one fifteen for the half, never even touch the gel that's in my hand, and win by ten minutes. And I was like, okay, I got it figured out now. Wow. Less is more sometimes. Yeah, you know, you're, the way you have to eat for triathlon is very different, obviously, than a stage race because there is no tomorrow. You know, you're not having to replace not only for today, but make sure you have enough for tomorrow. Uh, and so there's the, the calorie need is, is less. 
you know, an Ironman is, is a little bit different, obviously, than a, than a half, though. And in a half, you can pretty much get away with almost anything, uh, you know, a little if you have too little, you can quickly get some in. If you had too much, you can slow it down and things will start to absorb again. In an Ironman, especially here in, in Hawaii, you, you've really got to try to never get to the point where you start to really get that sick, nauseous feeling. So, you know, another another trick that I use is I would have a couple different sources of calories. So, you know, in the, in the early stages of the bike, I would have one sport drink with, uh, you know, a certain taste and a flavor profile. And then when that started to get to the point where it's like, okay, I can't take any more of this. Then I would switch to a second source of calories that had a slightly different flavor, a slightly different profile on, on the nutrients in it so that you kind of gave your body a little bit of a, a, a variety over time. And I tried not to mix them at the same time. So, you know, maybe the first three hours of the bike, four hours of the bike was one set of sport drinks. And then from hour four to five, and then on into the marathon, it was something very different. Quick trip, trip uh, trick for anybody, if you really get in a bad situation, uh, especially here in Kona, I found that if I just, you know, backed off on everything, took in uh, some Coke mm. from the aid station, that that actually helped settle my stomach and help get things absorbing again. And just the, the way the Coke, you know, the sugar in it, it seemed to kind of bring me back and, and make it so that I could at least finish the race. You know, that was that was my secret, actually, for, for the marathon was mostly Coke, salt tablets and a couple gels and of course some water you know on that note i i you'd mentioned earlier you know we didn't have that back then you could probably go on and on and on uh mark about things you didn't have back then when when you were doing it and and as you've continued to coach athletes what have been the biggest nutritional breakthroughs and what has been the best technological breakthrough for the sport in your opinion well, obviously the, you know, the bike equipment is just light years ahead of what, what I had available to me. And, you know, actually finally just in the last couple of years, the nutritional products have caught up also. Um, you know, there's pretty much every, every sport drink product now is, is actually formulated pretty good. Back when I raced, there wasn't enough sodium. There was, you know, the, 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 the carbohydrate chains weren't quite right. So they did cause you to get nauseous quite a bit. Now they're so much better. And so both of those together really do make it a lot easier for athletes to actually not have mistakes in their nutrition, to go, you know, to get some free time on the bike because, you know, all, all of the, the aerodynamics is so much better than it was when I was racing. You know, I was at the uh, Ironman 70.3 Worlds in Chattanooga a couple of weeks ago, and I was I was looking at, at the uh, in the transition area and, and the, you know, the bikes – Every single bike was top notch. You know, there was not one bad, lousy looking bike. Not only that, but as I was watching the athletes cross the finish line, there was basically nobody who looked like they were, they shouldn't have been there. You know, and, and to be honest, in the past, there's a lot of people at some of these races where you think, geez, how did they do that? You know, maybe they're a little heavy or that, you know, they don't look fit. At that race, every single athlete was fit. And I think that people in general now are, have better understanding of how to eat every day, you know, so that their bodies are healthy, so that you know they stay a little leaner, they recover better, and then obviously, uh, you know, with the with some of the advances in, in uh, technology with training, with you know, your 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 GPS uh, devices and power power meters and right. stuff, a whole other level from what I was able to utilize. Like I said back here, you know, in '89, um, 
I knew that I didn't, you know, we didn't have a lot of the technology. I had a heart rate monitor and a speedometer on my bike and that was it. And all the information uh, you know, so you're getting. To, <laughs> wow. Yeah. You know, so I really had to tune into kind of the other side of sports, which is, you know, what, what's going on in your internal environment. You know, if it was just about the numbers, all we do is just mail them in and we can figure out who the champion is. But on race day, you have to deal with yourself. You know, you have to deal with self-doubt or, you know, a fear of somebody pulling away when you're not feeling good or something going wrong that you, that you did not expect that you had to deal with. And, um, you know, that was a big part of what I, what I developed within myself so that regardless of what happened, hopefully I was able to just stay engaged in the race to not give up to, you know, just keep going through those very, very tough moments where it would have been so easy to just throw in the towel. And actually like in 19, 1995, that come back against Hell Regal, pretty much every one of the guys in the top 10 came up to me afterwards and they go, dude, how did you do that? They go, I, I would have just given up. I mean, 13 and a half minutes, you know, and I, you know, to go back, I, you know, like I said, I studied with Brant Secunda who really gave me skills to just be able to get my mind to be quiet in the race. Uh, and you, you know, this Lance, mm -hmm. if, if, if that little voice is going on, like, I can't do it. My legs are killing me. My stomach's backing up. I should just throw in the towel. You're never going to be a champion. Mm. You know, a champion ends up being somebody or setting a PR or having the best race of your life is getting in your mind to just say, shut up. <laughs> Calm you down, mind. Quiet? Right. And when you're quiet, all of a sudden, every possibility comes back to you. Yep. I know JB wants to ask questions about the, but before we get to his, his extreme curiosity about who's going to win the Ironman, I just want to say to, to the, and Mark, you can, you can, you know, this better than anybody, uh, if for anybody in Kona, that's, that's a first timer and it is, is you're there for not that long. You're not going to go out and ride the course. Maybe, there are probably a lot of people that go drive it. You're going to go drive along the queen K and it's going to be going, you're just like this. You're just like this. It's, there's, there's no climbs. There's, you climb up to Javi to the turnaround. That, that feels a little bit like a, like a false, kind of a climb. You turn around, you come back, and it does this again. You're like, okay, it's not. Keep in mind, guess how much vertical gain there is on the, in the Hawaii Ironman? No clue. 6,000 feet. Really? That's, I mean, that is, that. It's just always rolling. It just, it's, it's, it's always up and down. And, you know, it, it's, that's. That's a lot of vert for a hundred plus. I mean, that's, mm. you know, that's not something to take lightly. You know, something yeah, I want to. So, yeah. It's so deceptive. You think it's not really, there's not really that much climbing because like you said, there are no true climbs like you get in Nice. Um, but over the course of the day, it's, <laughs> it's like everything else here. It's this slow, steady grind that just keeps tightening the, the, the screws on, on your effort and on, you know, trying to get you to the point where either you crack or you go to a completely different place where you find the strength and an ability to just stay focused. You never would have to go to otherwise, but then that's what makes this race so special because when you cross the line and you think back, you go, wow, I didn't know I had that in me. Mm, awesome. Awesome. Something I want to know about, Mark, you know, I've been around cycling and cyclists more and arguably they're a pretty odd bunch, right? And then with... Ironman triathletes, you're just taking it to a whole new level of the way these people are wired. So combining, you know, your history and experience with it, and now as a coach, like what's the, what's the, how would you describe a common thread among people 
that do this? What motivates them? What's going on in their head? Because for the rest of us who've never done an Ironman, it's just, it's so out there that we don't quite understand it. How do you explain it? And is there a common thread? You know, for me, it was just, a, it was like this really complex puzzle to try and figure out. And it was really intriguing for me. Like, how can I, how can I come to the Ironman in Hawaii and really have a great race? It was, and it was obviously it was it was devastating in the early years. It was very hard to pick up the pieces each year. You know, six years in a row where I didn't win, I'd I'd fallen apart. Uh, but it was so intriguing thinking, what 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 do I need to do to bring into this so that I can really have a great race? And, and so it's this amazing puzzle that slowly the pieces start to get put together, and eventually, you know, if you if you gain enough experience, all of a sudden it gels. And when you, when it does, it's the most incredible feeling. I think that's part of it for a lot of people. Um, you also, you know, I mean, it, it's, it's a great sport because people just love the way they feel when they get fit like this. And it's also a great community. I think once people get into triathlons, as you know, like, you know, you had your group that you trained with Lance, uh, you know, there's a great camaraderie. And, and I think, it's actually the training that people love the most. You know, it's, it's going out there, you got your training buddies, you've got your sessions that you do with your friends. You also have some time where you're out there by yourself and you can just reflect on sport, you, you can reflect on life. You know, it, it's a lifestyle that is, uh, you know, making you a heck of a lot healthier than people sitting around in their couch all day. Yeah, yeah. I'm very interested in, in what it's gonna be like for you as the race going on with your, as a coach. I mean, are you working with any of the elite competitors that are contenders or, or is it just people trying to finish for the first time a little bit? What will you be watching for and interested in? Yeah. Most of the people that I work with are all age group athletes. Uh, and you know, they, they just have this dream to come to Hawaii to, to actually qualify and get here. And then once they get here to cross that finish line and some of them obviously are going to be trying to win their age group. It's just great to see them out there, you know, giving it everything they have along with everybody else. When you have over 2,000 people doing this intense event where they are all giving their best on that day, it really does raise everybody up to a level that they would never be able to get to anywhere else. I do have, you know, my top pro that I coach is Timothy O'Donnell, who's mm -hmm. been uh, third place here a couple years ago, sixth place last year with his best time ever. He had, he, he's married to Marinda Carfrey and they had uh, their daughter, Izzy, about a month ago. And so he has a little bit extra motivation to try and make this the year that, that he's the champion. He's super fit. He's done a lot of sessions that, that are even a lot better than I did when I was racing, you know, and I'll, I'll keep, all those, I'll keep all those secret until after the race. But, um, you know, it will obviously not be easy. Nobody lit, rolls over and plays dead here. Jan Frodeno coming into it. Uh, you know, one of the things that he, commented a couple of years ago is he said i know how to get up for a specific race and he showed you know history shows it gold medalist in the olympics uh you know winning here last year the guy that obviously everybody's going to have their eye on this year is patrick lange who was uh, uh you know he set the the marathon record last year breaking my uh marathon best by you know 15 20 seconds um Apparently, he's been doing a lot of work on the bike because that is a little bit of his weakness. Obviously, a great runner. It's stacked. You know, you have Sebastian Keenly, who uh, really, he, he's got something to prove. He hasn't had a great race compared to his championship here. And so, it's just going to be an exciting day. 
what I love about it is that I can never predict what's going to happen out there. You know, everybody says, well, who, who do you think is going to be leading off the bike and into the run and all this kind of stuff? It's like, I have no idea because there's a million things that could happen. There's a, a million different scenarios that could unfold through the day. So even though I have been here every year except for one since 1982, I really don't know how that race is going to unfold. And so it's, it's, a, it's a mystery and a surprise and, and a really exciting day for me to be out there and watch as well. But, but given how uh, mental this event is, you know, as I was looking through the list of winners, having won before must be a tremendous advantage compared to a lot of other sports. Uh, and I, and you were living proof of that, you know, once you got over that barrier, right. It was then, then the history went down in the books. So the, the repeat champion, in your opinion, has a great advantage. Do they not? I think they absolutely do One, You have a certain confidence that you, that you didn't have prior to that. Um, and and the, the guys who seem to be able to come back or the women who seem to be able to come back and repeat are the ones that are not looking to replicate what they did the previous year though, because if, when you win, you realize that every year is going to be different and you know that just because you won last year, it's no guarantee about this coming year, but you have a better, you have a better vantage point to look at possible scenarios, like I said, and hopefully come up with that secret sauce that for you is going to be what will get you across the finish line at first. Again, it certainly is. Uh, I think it's a huge advantage to come here as a either defending champion or a returning champion. You know, Peter Reed's a great example. He won this race three times. Uh, he never repeated in, in consecutive years. So he would win and he'd come back. He'd have a lousy race. He'd, he'd come back and then he'd win again. And he had a lousy race and he finally came back and win his third one. You know, it, it, you would think, well, gee, why didn't he win it every year? Well, it's like I said, it's different every year. But eventually, but he knew that just because I didn't get two in a row doesn't mean that I can't win it twice. Just because I didn't get this third one this time, he came back and got that third one. So it's a, like I said, it's very complex. As you said, you know, it definitely does give you an advantage, though, to have had that experience of coming down Elite Drive in first place, crossing that finish line and winning it. Hmm. I know. I always wanted to do that. Not the winning part. I was, you know, in 2012, oh, it was, he's going to, you know, go to Kona. I mean, I would, I, I, I had a conversation with Andrew Messick a couple of weeks ago and I said, you know, the, obviously a lot of stuff was going down in my life around that time and it wasn't possible. And I was like, you know, I, I need to thank somebody because I, I just have a feeling, I mean, I was going to be that person like crawling down the, you know, Alehi Drive and like pooping on themselves. Like I would, it would have been a mess. And I'm, I'm just really glad that that didn't happen. <laughs> Well, congratulations. Yeah, thank, thank you, JB. <laughs> Mark, thank you so much, man. This is this thing to deal with, right? Yeah, yeah. Thank you for your time. If you if you want to reach out to Mark, are you taking on new clients? I am. You can go to markallencoaching.com. Uh, that's where all my coaching clients are. I also actually teach a, a workshop with Brant Secunda called Fit Soul, Fit Body. You can check that out on shamanism.com. And we, we give people a real template for... Uh, we wrote a book together, Fit Soul, Fit Body, Nine Keys to a Healthier, Happier You. And, and those those nine keys are really kind of like the roadmap that I use to become the six-time Ironman world champion. You know, it's like I said, it's definitely about the numbers. You know, I don't care how great your nutrition is, how great your mindset is. If you don't train right, you're never going to win. But once you've got the training, then it also becomes how do you deal with negative emotions? How do you get your mind to be quiet? How do you come to a place like the Big Island and embrace that as opposed to being intimidated by it. And that's 
we, we teach a lot of those tools and techniques in that workshop, Fit Soul, Fit Body. So check that out on shamanism.com. And, uh, you know, if anybody has questions, I'm I'm available. You can always email me, mark at markallencoaching.com. And I noticed you do some keynoting, too. A lot of your things that you've learned as an athlete apply to the business world. And I assume you're still doing that. I watched several of them this week. Absolutely. You know, I, I love telling my stories to business audiences because I can I can I can pull back the focus away from the specifics of sport and give the commonalities of how any of it, how each of us can overcome challenges or, or figure out where, where is that vision going to come from that will really draw us into action every day. I mean, why am I going to show up at the office every day? What, you know, why is this having importance to me? And, I, and so I, I love to, to use my Ironman stories as a backdrop for kind of more lessons about life that can help anybody, whether it's in a, in a business environment, whether it's in a sporting environment, whether it's, you know, enhancing how we improve our dynamics in our families, you know, it's just, a. I love that. I love that, um, that environment, that corporate environment, corporate speaking, motivational. Awesome. Very cool. Enjoy your week back in Kona. I'm jealous. <laughs> you probably can't go five feet without getting stopped for a photo, but it's got to be great. Guys, you should have set the studio up here in Kona. It would have been a lot more fun. For you, you. you sound you sound like your old buddy Dave Scott. He, you know, on the original our, our email to you, my email to you too. He shoots back. Why don't you just come over here and I can whip your ass in shape? He says, but uh, in in so here is the deal, right? So this is and we'll let you run. But so my son is he's in his senior year. He plays high school football. Mark, you wouldn't even you probably seen. It. He's six three two fifty. Uh, uh, Friday night, so the night before Kona uh is is against lake travis which is that's like the you know the the you know that's the rivalry Big that's texas what it's game, all about two, two of the best teams in texas and so uh i have to be at that game i want to be at that game but uh our goal right jb and i is in 2018 that we will be there so uh we'll just have to take a little rain check luke luke graduated from high school and we'll be there next year Right on. Well, I'll be here too if I'm alive. So look forward to seeing <laughs> I'm, I'm watching. I, I have a pretty good feeling you're going to be alive next year. So. All right, yeah, buddy. Thank on, you. Hey, thanks to our friend uh, Craig at, from Life Size for yeah. hooking up this amazing system so we amazing. can patch you in from uh, Hawaii. Long ways Very away. Very grateful. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, you guys. We'll see you soon.